Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Chris. Happy birthday to Chris Christensen. Yes, Chris Christensen of the Amateur Traveler, the guy who's made one of the top podcasts out there for travel. He gets so many listeners, and he's on this podcast. He's interviewed me a few on his few times on his Amateur Traveler podcast, and in this episode, I turn the tables and interview him. He shares all his trips of how he manages to do three different podcasts. Where does he have time to sleep? Um, he also talks about fam trips. What are fam trips? You'll get to learn about that. How does a podcaster who's just starting out, what are some of the tips that you should do? What are some of the errors that people make? How does he monetize his podcast? Anyway, there's a whole lot of things that we unpack in this episode. And so you'll want to enjoy it and celebrate Chris's birthday today, which is December 14th. Happy birthday, Chris. Things that everybody knows about you is that you're an amateur traveler. Well, not you are an amateur. You're like a professional traveler, aren't you? An amateur means somebody who doesn't get paid for it. Doesn't mean somebody who's bad at it. And I am largely <laughs> still amateur, <laughs> okay. so I haven't. Uh, I, I would love to say I've lost my amateur status, but uh, don't make enough money off this to do it for a living. Got it. So, what is your real job, Chris Christensen? You're a software engineer. <laughs> I make a living as a software engineer. Well, these days as a software engineer doing uh, contract work. Uh, when I started this show, I was actually a VP of engineering and operations for an internet company. Which one? Uh, I was at Live World at the time, which ran online community. We were running online communities for, well, we were running all the community for eBay, HBO, uh, A&E, History Channel, the MBA, the WMBA, TV Guide. We used to run the web pages for MSN, uh, all the community for um, at various stages in the company, Disney, NBC, ABC, CBS Sportsline. Uh, web TV, lots of lots and lots of brands. My my brand slide looks great. <laughs> Worked with a lot of different companies, running online communities. But then, let's say if somebody who's listening to this says, "I want to hire you," what is your speciality? Like, what would you do? Uh, web is, is definitely still where I spend my time doing web. The web is design. very broad. Well, like what? web creation. Well, I, once you get past that, I am fairly broad too. I've done a variety of things on the web from community to uh, commerce to travel. Uh, right now I'm doing some work with uh, timeout, for instance, timeout.com. Okay. And I used to be a director of engineering at uh, TripAdvisor in charge of their flights product. Oh, how convenient. And they've really taken off. It's not a bad company. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a real good company to work for. I've enjoyed I enjoyed working for them, except that it was a long commute. I was here and they were in Boston. What? I thought they were in San Francisco. No, predominantly they're in Needham, Massachusetts. Oh, I had no idea. Office. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I thought every company that has a .com is in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> not true. It just feels that way. <laughs> So where were you prior to .com? In other words, where were you during your childhood? Were you born and raised in California? I was born in Ohio but moved to California since that I, when I was three and a half, so I don't really remember anything other than growing up in California. But I grew up in an ag area in California. I grew up in the Salinas Valley. 
Oh, just like so uh, Steinbeck. Went same, went to the same high school as John Steinbeck, but not the same year. Right. So. <laughs> You'd probably be dead if you... <laughs> That's I have no probably how... true. <laughs> exactly. Um, but do you regret leaving Ohio because now your vote doesn't matter in the presidential elections? <laughs> uh, I regret my vote doesn't matter in the presidential elections uh, greatly, but no, I don't really have any particular you're affinity not in for a, Ohio. I've been there just very Battleground state here, Chris. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I still claim to be a Buckeye, but I don't really know a lot about Ohio. And here's something else that a lot of people don't know about you is that uh, that you actually have a not just amateur travel. You not just do the the weekly travel show with uh, Gary and Jen Leo, uh, Gary Mm -hmm. Arndt and Jen Leo. This Week in Travel. Yeah. Thank you. This Week in Travel. Yes. But you also have this third podcast, uh, which is a Christian podcast. Fourth. Sorry, four yeah, podcasts. I have five podcasts total, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, so four travel, a- amateur traveler, this week in travel. So weekly, uh, monthly. Um, also the Passport Travel Marketing and PR podcast, which I do with Life Pedersen, which is semi-monthly. And then uh, I do an occasional amateur traveler video edition. And then, and then you're right, I have a religious podcast called The Bible Study Podcast, Uh you could probably guess what that one's about. <laughs> I went for it's about obvious. the Quran. I I learned from amateur traveler and went for something that would be actually what people are searching for when they're looking for that. So, and that one is the second oldest podcast that I do and the second most uh, popular podcast that I do. Oh, interesting. The Christian one is the second most popular one. Uh, yeah, that one gets about a thousand downloads a day. Wow. And then, what about the amateur traveler? How 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 many podcasts per episode do you get? Or well, per day or whatever you uh, episode's do. a little harder to tell, but per, per so day. we have a lot of people who are listening to the back channel also, or let back channel, the back catalog. Right. And so last month, for instance, in March of 2018, we had over 300,000 downloads or so about 10,000 downloads a day. 10, but a lot of that is to older shows for people who are saying, oh, now I'm going to, well, one person wrote me and said, I'm going to Europe, so I downloaded 50 pod- episodes of your podcast to listen to it because <laughs> I don't know where I want to go. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that's roughly 7,000 words per podcast, seven to 10,000 words. So she downloaded roughly the equivalent of four and a half Harry Potter books, <laughs> just to put that in perspective. <laughs> Amazing. And and you started this, uh, how many years ago was your first episode when you got into amateur travel? Thir- uh, 13, uh, 2005, July 2nd, as far as I know of 2005. 2005, so yeah, 13 years ago, amazing. Mm-hmm. I started podcasting seven years ago, and then I quickly gave it up when I realized how much work <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I could understand that. That's a sane, <laughs> rational response. Now, I think I remember you telling me that either your son or a teenager that is doing slave labor for you actually does editing. <laughs> is that true? Uh, well, I pay the editors, uh, so I wouldn't go quite as far as slave labor. But <laughs> yes, I pay one of two different editors right at the current time. But not my son anymore. He has podcasts of his own. <laughs> so Really? Uh, he is doing two or three different podcasts. I think he's got one on hiatus right now. So he's um, hosting and editing a D&D podcast, oh, wow. and, uh, which is uh, Friday Night Quests. And then he's um, got one on hiatus 
that I'm not sure it's going to come back, but it's because comics that was a comic book podcast that I really enjoyed, but I don't think they're probably going to do that again. And then he's editing a couple other shows that the, the friends that he is doing those with uh, have a company that's selling a board game. And so they're using podcasts to build up an audience. He also blogs too, but not on travel. Interesting. And what about, and your daughter? Uh, she does, uh, right now she's doing a lot of, uh, artwork. She and I were planning on doing a blog, but then she got visited, got busy doing some other things on Instagram and other things, but she's actually the one who gets paid to write cause she's in communications. She's in marketing and PR. Interesting. So that's funny that, uh, she's the only one in the family actually getting paid to do all this hard labor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And I also know that she got uh, you got some daughter points when apparently one of her good friends by found out that you were doing <laughs> I think the Amateur Traveler podcast or something. Yeah, like it was that. Amateur Traveler. Yeah, and they, they were, were like, "Oh my god, your listeners. dad! Your dad is actually kind of cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good for daughter points. I tell you, it's hard to beat. Um, and then finally, you then I don't know how I don't know when you sleep. I should have called you at three o'clock in the morning to test you out. <laughs> but you have Blogger Bridge too. I do, I do. I run bloggerbridge.com that tries to connect companies and bloggers. It's you know, I, have you? What has been the struggle with that? Has it been difficult, or is it just organically? <laughs> well, <drawn>? time <laughs> is definitely one of the things. And yeah, I don't know how you um, do it, Chris. I really don't. And well, like, you know, it's if you give up doing it well, it really makes a lot of things open to possibilities. Um, yeah, that one. Basically, one of the reasons that I went into software contracting instead of doing a nine to five job because most of the time I've been doing amateur traveler, I have been doing a, you know, full-time job on top of that, uh, you know, 40 to 60 hour weeks at startup companies and other companies and things like that. But when I decided I want to put more time into either amateur traveler or blogger bridge, I basically cut back to part-time programming. Fortunately, programming pays well enough that you can do that part-time and still make a living. Hmm. Now, what about, uh, the you now one thing that there's these fam trips. I don't even know why they're called fam. What does it stand for? Familiarization. Say again. Familiarization. Familiarization tour. So basically, mm -hmm. they are uh, they're tours made for travel bloggers and other journalists to help promote a destination. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Usually, fam often gets used more for travel agents. Is where the term comes from. That. Uh, business where traditionally in the travel writing space it would have been a just a press trip, uh, although sometimes it gets used for both. But yeah, there's definitely trips where you get hosted by someone, and the misnomer is to call them a free trip because if you're really not contributing anything, if you're really not working your ass off while you're there, and when you get home, then you're really doing it wrong. So you you're not going to get invited next time. But there are certainly trips that can be everywhere from, you know, a local trip to stay at a hotel, you know, one hour from your house and experience a destination to flying to some remote corner of the world. Now, how many of these have you done yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I didn't do any at all in the first five years for sure of the show uh, because there just wasn't, it just wasn't a thing. People weren't inviting bloggers to do anything. And I've done more in the last five especially since i 
quit the full-time job and I've had the ability to say yes. But even with that, I do some associated with the, like the TBEX conference that I go to, you know, I might do one or two a year associated with that. And then maybe another, I don't know, two to two to four uh, on top of that. Uh, a little more maybe this year just because I've got a more um, regular gig. I'm doing some work with Universal Studios that will probably involve four different trips uh, to Universal over the course of the year. Um, throw in two other conferences that brought me to Orlando. It's uh, my year to go to Florida. So, Okay. Now, I've never been on one. I've been invited to certain places, but just as an individual. And so I always mm-hmm. had a lot of freedom. And... I've heard a couple. Of There's these. advantages and disadvantages, right. and, and it also depends on how well they're run. Sometimes you can be on a group trip and still have a lot of freedom. I think the best one that I did from that point of view was uh, one back in 2010 to a week in Maui uh, with the tourism board there, and they gave us each individual. Uh, itineraries. And so, for instance, there was, I think there were 10 of us total, five new media and and five traditional media. And one of the people who was from radio doing a food show said, we've got beaches. I'm from Southern California. I don't need to see a beach. Show me where all the food is grown. You know, and I got up on Wednesday morning and my itinerary literally just said, go to the beach. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have a rental car, explore. Uh, I did the road to Hana that day, and then you know at five thirty or whatever, uh, be at this ranch for a barbecue uh, because we want to show you that. And so it can be as open as that. That tends to be more rare. <laughs> the the ones that you hear more about are the death marches, which are you know get up at six thirty, go to go to eleven, and you're seeing just everything they do and. You know, sometimes and you're talking about 11 p.m. By the way, 11 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes it's uh, the things you don't necessarily care about, and sometimes it's the thing you do care about, and you know they they can tend to be a little tight. 6:30 to 11 is 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 exaggerating, but 8:30 to 9:30 p.m. is not uncommon. Right. And then so, you're, and then you got to actually blog about it or talk. I mean, I'm just trying to. Spot yeah, although you you're typically, you know, if you got a schedule like that, you're not creating content while you're there. You just, you just can't. You're trying to get as many pictures as you can, as many tweets and Instagram posts, maybe, but then you know, taking notes and video or whatever, so you can create content later on. I mean, this is. Because, uh, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the unglamorous part of travel blogging. Right. <laughs> no. So the advantage of the personal, of course, the personal trip can also be as heavily scheduled as that, too. I've been on ones that were, you know, be here, then go there, then go here, have lunch there. Then you've got to be at that museum and then have dinner or something like that. Or they can be just wide open in terms of schedule. You know, I think of, you know, one of the best trips I did, for instance, I got invited to Jordan by the tourism board of Jordan, I was given a, a guide and a driver in 10 days. We went through just all of the country and just a lot of different sites. And, but even with that one, it was, you know, the morning in Petra and then, we, sorry, we got to run because we're off to Wadi Rum, the two UNESCO world heritage sites that are relatively close to each other, but it would preferred to have one day in each, but you know, you're trying to see a lot of stuff in that period of time. So I tend to say if I talk about something on a press trip and we did it in two days, you should take four. (laughs) That's the usual, you know, if you're doing this not on a press trip, you should take twice as long, pretty typically. 
Yeah, no, it's, the, it's the nice, the advantage of the first ones are when you're with a great group of people. Um, and those, you know, have been really wonderful, you know, when you're sitting in the van, riding around back roads in Thailand saying, well, what do you do for this? And how do you edit your photos on the road? And, and all those sort of th- conversations are just terrific. Uh, the worst ones are, you know, when there's the the whiny person in your trip or when everybody's just on their cell phone and not talking. Uh, but they can be pretty great. I don't think I've had any bad press trips that way. Uh, but there are certainly, if you talk to people, you can hear about trips that, and it usually involves the personalities. Right. And speaking about uh, things that irritate people, um, what are your travel <laughs> pet peeves? I know, I think reclining seats is one of them. Um, No, not so much uh, reclining seats for me. Um, You're 6'2 or something like that. I'm 6'3". There you go. You uh, just grew an inch. <laughs> but I fold in all the right places. So I usually fly coach just because as often as possible, I'm flying on someone else's dime. And unless they're trying to show off their business class because you're flying with the airline, you're probably in coach. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, but you know, how long, are you, how long is the flight? You know, maybe it's 14 hours if you're going over the Pacific, but you know, I can be uncomfortable for 14 hours, 10 hours, or something like that, as long as I'm going someplace worth going. And where are places Pet peeves. worth going? Um, uh, I think, <laughs> I I don't know if I have so much pet peeves as, as amusement uh, in terms of, you know, when you watch a lot of people going through airports as if they've just never heard <laughs> that there's security, <laughs> that you can't bring liquids and such, you know, all of these uh, sort of uh, amateurs in the in the other sense of the word, um, <laughs> I tend to react more with amusement usually. I, and pet peeves would probably be when things are just poorly run. Uh, because I've got an engineering background, I've got, you know, a couple engineering degrees. Uh, I tend, like when I'm in the Orlando airport, the TSA, and I'm watching how they set up the queuing, I'm like, this is just wrong. <laughs> this is terribly inefficient. You could do this just as much work with fewer people or, you know, or make it faster or something. It just, you know, this needs to be rethought. You definitely do not want to travel deeply in Africa. <laughs> I Well, I've, I've changed planes in Kenya, so that's beyond that. <laughs> that's... I don't know what's going on here. Yes, we'll pay this stranger who's walked up to us money because he can help us navigate this because we have no choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So those are some of your, your, your... Now, you talked about some of the places that you like to go. You know, sometimes it's worth... What would what'd you say are countries that you don't have an interest of going to, let's say, that you would not want to visit? Any countries that, like, turn you off? Even though, you've let's say, you've done... How many countries have you covered in your amateur traveler show? You've done it over a oh, hundred at least. Um, <coughs> I'm sure we've done over a hundred countries. Well, we've done 600 episodes. I haven't counted up how many different countries we've anyway. done, but there's there's but, quite a lot of pins in the map right now, but I have not been to all those places. Right. Obviously. And so, but is there um, any one of those places, let's say that you said, okay, I, I'm glad I interviewed this person talking about X country, but I don't want to go there. I think the only ones that ever make my list of I don't want to go there are more safety reasons Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, I'm not sure I would go there now tends to be more what I think of, you know, when I'm talking to somebody who's going to northern Iraq. (laughs) It's like, 
I don't know that I would go there now. Right. Uh, or Syria. Hey, but, go check out Syria. Well, we've done, unfortunately, a wonderful show on Syria, but it was before everything blew up, talking about how wonderful the the people were, and we talked about two how people who were... How safe it was. <laughs> how safe it was, exactly. You know, how hospitable it was, and all so of those things. not that all your shows true. are evergreen, I guess. <laughs> no, no, there, there are some that I would do that one over again if I thought you ought to go to Syria. Right. <laughs> so we definitely do shows over again. Some shows because the, the destination changes. So Las Vegas, for instance, you have to do periodically if you're going to do a show on Las Vegas. New York, somewhat... Paris, you know, if I do a show again next week, would I tell you to go anything to any place different than the top museums in the Eiffel Tower? And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the places you're going to go were built a century ago. So they're not necessarily going to change. Although we just did a new show on Mexico City. We talked about a lot of the same places we talked about last time, but this time we're taking Uber. And last time that was not an option because we did it, you know, 10 12 years ago or something like that. Well, also you're, so, you're um, interviewing yeah. different personalities. And so let's say oh, absolutely. a absolutely. woman who's 50 years old is going to give you a different perspective than a man who's 20. Right. Well, we just, my next show that's coming out this Saturday is on the Yucatan. And we did a show 12 years ago with Zora O'Neill, who's a guidebook writer about the Yucatan. And we focused a lot on a lot of the Mayan sites and, you know, going down and driving the route to Pook and things like that. I'm just, you know, great show. I went down and did that trip after that show and we had a great vacation. It was such good advice. I have, <laughs> I can now say definitively. And then we just did it again and we talked much more about food because I was interviewing some bloggers who do more of a food centric blog so you know we talk more about food because you just can't get them to talk about anything else <laughs> because everybody has the kind of things they're interested in and so you know when i did a show with jen leo uh, who you mentioned who i do a is my co-host or one of my two co-hosts for this week in travel we did a show on charleston south carolina and i talked about history and she talked about food <laughs> and right. so you know she wasn't going to tell you about fort mchenry and uh, why you should go there or fort uh, sorry for fort sumner rather in the harbor and you know what the significance was of that fort or th things like that that's just not what she's that's not why she travels and what is your what do you drill down most into when you travel uh history history culture uh, the when someone pitches a show for me a national park or a UNESCO World Heritage Site are kind of a bullseye for me, something that's unique and interesting, uh, either stunning because I love to take pictures or fascinating in terms of the history and things like that. So, you know, when people ask me my favorite places, I tend to be talking about places like Greece and Egypt and Turkey and places that have, you know, that rich, deep history tend to be my, my favorite, favorite places. Yeah, no, I, I can... I agree with you there. In fact, it's interesting because, I mean, that, that side of you, is, I guess, is a kind of the engineering side of you. But one thing that's not engineering, side, <laughs> the classical engineer is, is a kind of an introvert. And, and you've got all these podcasts going on. You've got an extroverted. You're an extroverted engineer, which is, of course, an oxymoron. No, I'm an introvert. I'm a very <laughs> classical introvert. I'm just not shy. Okay. But I do get... You catch me at a conference uh, about one hour into the cocktail party, and I'm about ready to go find a corner to hide in. <laughs> not that I'm not thoroughly enjoying it, because, you know, I, I really go 
into interview mode these days and want to know more about the people and I find people fascinating, but just it, it tires me out in, in that classical introvert sort of way. Mm-hmm. And I can be, you know, I work from home. So I quite often am by myself for, you know, many, many hours during the day and, and that's fine. And also yeah. you're, you're in all your podcasts, you're usually asking the questions. And so therefore, you can <laughs> exactly. Be yeah. But one thing, just to put it in perspective, I say, I'm not sure. I'm not shy as much now. The first podcasting conference I went to, and so this is within the last 13 years, uh, it was the very first podcasting conference. It was almost, you know, 12 and a half years ago. What was I the name of drove, the conference? It was the Podcast and Portable Media Expo in Ontario, California. Does it still exist? No, it hasn't existed. It got bought actually by uh, Blog World, which was NMX, that is the conference that Rick Calvert, who runs the TBEX conference, also used to run. Uh, many, maybe six years ago, seven years ago or something like that, it, they, he bought out that other conference and then ran that for a little while and before shutting down uh, both Blog World and MX and, uh, and the podcasting thing as well. But I went, I drove all the way down to Southern California. I didn't have a ticket for the event, so I was just going for the parties. The first party I went to, I walked around for an hour, talked to absolutely no one. <laughs> that's, that, is, that is my natural uh introvert shy person uh, coming out and i've since that time learned to be much more of a networker and get much more comfortable in in those sort of social social situations have you seen the ted talk which is very popular about introvert i have seen some i don't know if i'm seeing the one that you're talking about yeah i don't remember the title but something like the power of being an introvert i can't remember something just search ted and introvert and i think it's got to be whatever yeah there's a number of different books and things out these days about introverts and introverts as people who are better listeners tends to be one of the power things that they talk about but um, i thought they were just better that, looking that we like to well i think that's true as well but <laughs> it doesn't mention that we like to run away and hide though <laughs> um so let's dig down onto the like the podcasting side of things because you've just got sure. this wealth of knowledge chris and i just gotta tap into it and i think <laughs> the people Done a couple. would love love to hear about it so <clears throat> tell me like if somebody were just starting a podcast now what would be kind of the advice that you would give them besides don't do it <laughs> <laughs> um i don't well, I actually have many times told people not to do it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I was being honest. With One thing that I recommend to people is figuring out, one, what you're trying to get out of it and whether the content you're producing and the audience you're addressing is consistent with what you're trying to get out of it. So, for example, I mentioned that I do three different travel podcasts, not counting the video one, which... It, comes out very rarely. And they are each targeted at a different audience with a different objective, right? The amateur traveler is targeted at a traveler audience. So we talk about destinations every week and it's where you should go. But the why, that's the audience. But the reason I do it is I want people to bring me to their destination so I can talk about it, right? That one is very intentionally meant for, I want to have a popular travel show that people want to invite me places. Um, and, you know, that makes sense. That is that is a consistent sort of package. But on the other hand, it's harder to work with destinations 
if it would be easier to work with destinations, for instance, if I narrowed it down and said I do just a show on Ireland and then, you know, get heavy and deep with the Irish Tourism Board and work with them every week, get them to sponsor, you know, something like that. If that was my goal, some, that a different format might be better or a different subject matter might be better, maybe much more narrow. Um, or, for instance, we do This Week in Travel. We talk about travel, but we also have on travel writers and editors. And the goal of that show, very explicitly, when Gary and I started it, we, we roped in Jen and also Chris. Um, at one time, Chris, um, I've got the wrong last name here for a second. Christensen? Who is, <laughs> no, no, not that, not that one. There were two Your of us. evil twin uh, brother? Chris Chris is the uh, ombudsman for uh, National Geographic and does a lot of things. Chris Elliott. He does a lot of things with the things that go wrong in travel sort of thing. But we roped him in for a few, couple shows uh, and Jen for now years to help us basically try and break into the travel writing and editing space to be better known in that space. And I think some of the awards that Gary and I have won in that travel editing writing space now trace to people who discovered us through that This Week in Travel podcast. So that one has been successful, never made a dime. So, you know, different goal, different content. Why did it um, never, why have you guys not made a dime just because it'd be difficult to split it up between three and just like that? Yeah, we haven't really tried. We don't get as many downloads for that show. You know, in a good month, we'll get 11,000, 14,000 downloads for that show. Uh, just because we have one, one, we just have trouble doing it on a regular basis. And it's also a much more narrow audience. That one tends to get listened to by people, for instance, who attend TBEX not by the the person who is a regular traveler. Sometimes we'll do a show that's, you know, this one's all about travel tips and it's applicable to everybody, but not always. Sometimes it's about travel writing. And that's a that's a much more narrow audience. And the Passport podcast, which Life and I have started, is intended to be useful content for travel marketing and PR people. And the goal is to have us both sound smart <laughs> to travel marketing and PR people such that we can get more business. In that case, for me, for Blogger Bridge and for Projects for Amateur Traveler and for him, for Life Pedersen PR. So, I mean, all of those were, here's the audience we're going after, here's the content that makes sense for them, and this is consistent. This this makes sense to have the two work together that way. So, for instance, I, I've known a number of friends who've done podcast where they're saying, well, we're going to interview people about travel, like this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, except, which is fine, but what's your goal? If your goal, for instance, is, and then I want to get invited on trips, you're like, well, why would they do that? You're not doing any content that matches what they're trying to do. Right. Right. So, again, make sure your goal and your content matches up is rule number one. Rule number two <laughs> is do, don't do what I did with Amateur Traveler. When I started Amateur Traveler, it was going to be about my stories. It was going to be about my travel. I but didn't know that. As I mentioned, I was working full time. I was <laughs> basically traveling four weeks. So you had two year. episodes and you were done for the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was, I was podcasting 48 weeks a year and I had a lot of travel <laughs> stories that had built up over time, but it became pretty obvious pretty quick that hey, this math doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I don't have enough things to talk about. I'm going to run out of things to talk about pretty soon or at least you know soon enough and so i started interviewing some people and found actually that i enjoyed the interviewing but also 
it made sense in then in terms of then I have more content. For This Week in Travel, we're always talking about travel news stories is part of the show. Well, there are always travel news stories. There's always somebody kicking somebody off some plane for some stupid reason. You know, you will always have enough of those. But on the other hand, that is not long-term content. Right. Right. So, you know, different advantages depending on what your content is. Make sure that there's a plan for how you're going to get more content or are you just going to run out of things to say. Right. Now, what advice do you sometimes hear people give about podcasts or starting a podcast or running a podcast that you think is stupid advice? I don't know if there's any advice that I know, that I think is stupid. There's certainly advice that I think is is not what I would recommend. Like, make sure that you record 10 episodes before you put any out. I don't know that I would worry about that so much, but I would say have 10 podcast topics in mind. You know, have know at least 10, 10 20 different show ideas, because if you can't come up with that many, maybe you only have a limited run podcast. Um, and then there are some more specific things where people, there are, kind of folk magic <laughs> things in terms of, you know, make sure you get into new and notable and things like that that are just not true in terms of how podcast promotion works. I would say probably the best thing is don't pay some consultant out there, you know, $5,000 to go teach you how to do a podcast. Most of those are just not, <laughs> just don't know what they're talking about, honestly. Uh, most of the ones that are out there doing that, there's some free resources that you can use to do podcasts. It's not, it's not all that complicated to do these days. It was more complicated when I started in your hand editing RSS feeds and things like that. But it's interesting what you're saying because I did hear actually a couple of podcast quote-unquote experts who have said precisely what you just poo-pooed, which is this idea that you should do everything you can to get on the new and noteworthy of iTunes. Yeah, that that is a, a common myth. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> and uh, so people, break that down because you've got to counteract so, all these people who've told yeah, me otherwise. Th there's, there's a recurring theme that comes from probably somebody who had only one podcast <laughs> and, you know, had done it once and therefore was an expert and that happened to be on new and noteworthy and got a lot of traffic. But... A lot of the, a lot of the folk magic <laughs> in terms of what that does for you and what how to get on there and things like that is just not true. And there have been a number of people who have, you know, done more statistical analysis of, you know, okay, here are the shows that have been that have been mentioned in New Noteworthy. Here's their downloads, like Libsyn.com, who I use for hosting, who hosts about a quarter of all the podcasts out there in terms of downloads. So I mean, so they they have real stats. You know, they will come out on their show and say, Yeah, we looked at it. It's just not true. It's just it's just a waste of time to for for one thing, it's hand selected you have to be, it, the best way to get on there is be new and be noteworthy. <laughs> <laughs> and by a human judgment. Good, good luck with that. Now go. <laughs> right. So there's no real magic formula or anything like that. And there are people literally who think it's so important that they didn't get on new and noteworthy, so they stopped the show so they can restart it to be on there. And that's just stupid. That's just stupid. That's really poor advice. Hmm. So be regular is the other thing too. Be predictable. And you can see that in the difference <laughs> between the stats between Amateur Traveler and This Week in Travel, uh, one of the differences between the two shows is just This Week in Travel comes out once, maybe twice a month, and it 
it just isn't as regular a part of anybody's listening. So that is advice that you actually do buy into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. There's lots of studies that can show that. And and in in your case, uh, Amateur Traveler comes out how often? Oh, every Saturday. Okay. Well, I I target every Saturday and I give myself permission to take off like four weeks a year. Okay. And then, and then you sometimes do like an iTunes enhanced version. Do you think that's worth it or? <laughs> I sometimes do. I have done, except for the first five episodes of Amateur Traveler, they've all been iTunes enhanced versions with pictures, photos, and links. And that adds another two hours of production time yep. per show. Um, and no, I wouldn't recommend that someone do that if you're getting started from scratch. Uh, my audience does like it. So the little caveat there, a couple of disadvantages. When you do that show, you still need to do an, I, an MP3 version of the show because some people are listening on devices that will not support an AAC file, which is the format for an iTunes enhanced format. So you still need to do both. So you've committed yourself to do more work if you're doing the two. And then also... When you're showing up in the list of popular podcasts in iTunes, which is where people are finding things more often than any place else, you've now got to have two feeds and it, you're not putting all your wood behind one arrow sort of thing. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend that somebody start that. We're also just not sure that they're going to continue to support it. Um, so you, but, may, you, know, you I, may phase that out. Yeah, I'm looking. Now there are versions of MP3 that can support some of the same capabilities that I'm looking at. Uh, can I move my show over to that? Because the other thing is you can't do automatic ad insertions into an AAC format file, only to an MP3 format file. So it's a little less advantageous from an economic standpoint as well. Okay, let's get into the economics then, since you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what have you found gives you the biggest bang for your buck on two, on two metrics? One metric is... Yep. The amount of followers and that you get, like, you know, is it Instagram or is it uh, your blog posts or is it your podcast that certain oh, things? Podcast. What's that? <laughs> podcast. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. No, in terms of followers. So with podcast, you know, it, people download the show and the way it works with podcasts, with the popular podcasting software like um, iTunes in particular, which is the the 800-pound gorilla, is if you don't listen to the show, it will unsubscribe. But still, it puts you in the feed of people uh, every week. And that's very different than if you think about Twitter follower and Instagram follower. Just because I follow you doesn't mean I see everything you do. Right? I have to, I have to be online when you're posting, especially those two formats, and and really quickly... Uh, see that because it's going to scroll off pretty it's quickly ephemeral. unless I only follow unless I only follow one person. Right, it's um, ephemeral. But be yeah, it's very ephemeral. Uh, Facebook less so. Pinterest uh, is different. Pinterest is not really a social media thing. Think of it more of as a search engine, more to, more as visual SEO. Uh, so Pinterest of the of in terms of driving traffic, I find Pinterest and Google um, to be the most valuable things. Google more so than than Pinterest, but Pinterest number two in terms of traffic source to the blog. Uh, podcasts are different. Podcasts are just a different animal. But in terms of commitment to what I am doing and always downloading and listening and things like that, podcast is just much better than than any other 
thing that I have run into, for me at least. Uh, other people may have that kind of loyal following for their blog, but these days it's tougher. That's tougher to get. Now, what's your uh, CPM that you charge, let's say, if somebody wants to advertise on Amateur Traveler? What do you, what is your cost per well, thousand. that's a, yeah. So it's targeted at a, a kind of standard industry rate for a, for a vertical show. So a show with not, um, so, you know, if you're advertising for Diet Coke, for instance, then you can advertise everywhere and it doesn't really matter that much what your audience is, you know, or maybe you'd advertise more on diet shows, I suppose, you know, if it was Coke, <laughs> maybe it's everywhere. But um, versus if you're advertising travel, you're looking for a more of a, a niche or a vertical market, Right. right. Um, so with the, with the mattress ads and things like that, that you hear on a lot of shows, think about a $10 CPM. And then if you get more specific, you know, maybe you can get up to, I think I charge about 35 sort of. Now, this is the interesting thing is when you say CPM, I'm selling you a podcast ad and I'm taking a number. Well, that number that I'm using is how many downloads did I get in the first two months? month or two months, somewhere in that range. But I know that people are actually, in the amateur travel case especially, are going to download that show forever, as far as I can tell. There are people who are downloading shows that I did 12 years ago this week. Right. You can't, unless you're doing automatic ad insertions, you can't really charge for that. So so the CFA model is a little weird that way, in the sense with a podcast, they're always going to over-deliver uh, because you know, whatever number I promise you I'm going to give you, and then it's just going to keep getting downloads um, after that. If you've got a show with a long tail, right? right? If you show that is regular news or something like that that's very timely, you're going to have less of a long tail. Right. But basically you're saying around $35 or so CPM is, is kind of fair for a travel-related show. That's... Yeah, from what I've seen, that's uh, consistent. You you'll see higher CPMs in different in different niches. Um, you know, I think tech gets a good CPM. Um, I assume business does as well. Uh, you know, I've certainly gotten higher CPM on uh, much higher CPM on Passport, for instance. The couple times we've done specific ads that we're trying to target marketing and PR people. You know, we don't we have hundreds of them. We don't have thousands of them or tens of thousands, but where else are you going to find them sort of thing? And you use a Libsyn? Yeah, Liberated Syndication, L-I-B-S-Y-N. No, I'm saying that's who, that's who you use. Yeah, highly recommend them. Okay. Yeah, everybody seems to like them. I was looking at Podbean, but I don't know if they're any good. The, the people are good. The technology is rock solid. Uh, they're, they're here now. They're going to be here forever. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I highly recommend Libsyn. They know what they're doing. What about Podbean? They've been around for a while. Uh, they're much more of a minor player. Uh, the top two players in the space would would be uh, Libsyn and Raw Voice. Um, I thought it was Blueberry. Of, you know, Blueberry is Raw Voice. Oh, okay, sorry. Yep, same <clears throat> same company. Blueberry is the is the community, and Raw Voice is the company name. Okay. Yeah, those are those are the big two. Todd Cochran from from Blueberry, also a real nice guy. I don't like some of their technology approach quite as well where they want to do it. They want to serve your RSS feed through your WordPress. And I think that's a little more brittle. I understand why they do that, but good guys, uh, you know, definitely 
also a good company. Um, I just like the technology solutions a little better from the way that Libsyn does things. What have you learned as an interviewer that you, you, I'm sure you've improved your interviewing style as you've gotten better? I would, I would hope. <laughs> um, what have I learned as an interviewer? I think I have gotten better at, so you have your questions that you usually ask, and then you have the question that you think of on the fly that seems to make sense for this guest. Coming up with that question at the right time is a little bit of an art, and I think you get better at it. I think you get a better feel for, I think there's something there that I need to tease out. And sometimes you just get lucky. So, you know, sometimes you ask the question that you did not think that there was going to be that answer, that it's more interesting, more funny, more something. Uh, and it's just luck of the draw. I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else in terms of teaching interviewing. Um, it, it helps if you're more wide awake. I, I know that <laughs> as you were scheduling this while getting over, you know, a bout of malaria, yeah. that it is tough when you're doing an interview and you're physically t more tired. And I can hear the difference doing the shows that I recorded at 10 o'clock at night and the shows that I recorded at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's interesting because uh, it is exactly 10 o'clock at night here in Cameroon. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I just got over, I'm just getting, I'm still, I just got the IV drip pulled out of me a few couple hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the challenge. Uh, when you but I'm faking it, it really well, aren't I? <laughs> really, after this, all the other interviewers will be much better. Well, <laughs> that's not actually true. The one of the things, actually, one of the other tips in terms of podcasting, if you're going to do an interview show is have more shows in the can, work ahead. And the reason why you want to work ahead is some interviews don't work. Hmm. One is sometimes you just, people reschedule. There, there's just that and that's a fact of nature. And sometimes it's me and sometimes it's them. I rescheduled, well, you and I both rescheduled this once today and then ended up doing it anyway because things changed yet again. And then I did reschedule something else today because I thought I was going to do a, you know, a trip down to do some elder care for my parents and you know, that happens, but also some people cannot tell a story. And I didn't really realize that until I started doing the interviews. There are shows that you will never hear on Amateur Traveler. Uh, we had one show, for instance, where I was interviewing somebody, real nice guy, but he had gone with his father to the Lake Country of England. And his father had been a historian who I think would have been a great guest except that he had died. So he was no, he was no longer doing interviews that I could <laughs> tap into. And so we went on for about 20 minutes where he would say, you know, and then we went to this monastery and my father told me a great story about it. Oh, what was the story? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, could it have been that this was one of the monasteries that Henry VIII uh, destroyed in his war against the monasteries. Well, that could have been it. <laughs> Maybe. You know, you can only go on for so long with that one before you say, I I've got no story. You know, I've got no show. I cannot edit this into anything. Uh, and there have definitely, uh, there's one show I tried once on a particular city in Poland that we did twice, and I still didn't have a show. So I had to put that off and do it with someone else. And it was a, a guest who English was not his native language, and we just couldn't stick to a thread of conversation. And, you know, it doesn't matter how, how good your editor, how good your editor is at some point, 
there are things you cannot edit into existence. You can edit out uh, people stammering. You can edit out people who can't finish a sentence like like I am there or who can't start a sentence. But Don't worry, I'll edit, edit that out in. too, no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But you can't edit in good content. That's well said. And in, speaking about editing, you actually do edit your podcast, which I, I just, it boggles my mind because I know how <laughs> much time that actually takes. And people, I think the listeners don't appreciate that. And yet you have people like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, who are super yep. big bloggers, bigger than you actually. And yet they practically don't edit at all, I think, or very little. So I edit two of the four shows. Uh, Amateur Travelers heavily edited. We take out, on average, from a 45-minute show, about five minutes, not of content, but of ums and ahs and pauses and let me look that up and those sort of things that really don't give any additional value. And then uh, This Week in Travel and Passport Podcast are not edited, in part because they're a three or more person conversation that's a lot harder to edit at that point. And uh, Bible Study Podcast is monologue, so that's heavily edited because it's not scripted. I'm basically making up what I'm saying at the time. You could script something and then not worry about heavily editing it, but that, to me, is much harder work. But, for instance, anything that is like Grammar Girl or the things in the Quick and Dirty uh, Podcast Network, the Quick and Dirty Tips Podcast Network, I can't think exactly what the name of it is, but she has a series of shows that are five-minute shows. Those are scripted and actually performed. Um, it's a little harder to read a script and not sound like you're reading a script. So for me, it's much easier to do it off the cuff and then edit it. Right, and then you have a Freakonomics uh, with Stephen Dubner. They're Which super is, edited. Yeah, very edited. They did an episode with a number of people like Branson, uh, Sir Sir Branson there behind... Uh, Richard Branson. Richard Branson behind Virgin... Galactic. Galactic, Virgin America, Virgin, well, all of those things. And that was a great episode, but then they later released the raw versions, and I could not listen to them. Some of the people who, I think Richard Branson was one of them, I could not listen to him talk because there were so many verbal tics in terms of how he was talking. So many ums and ahs and so many pauses and so many these sort of things that I found it just, un- I just skipped them. <laughs> Give me the edited version, but I'll just skip the raw versions. Thank you very much. It's interesting you say that because I felt the same way. I mean, I was surprised because I think he's dyslexic and he's dyslexic when he speaks too, I think. Very interesting person, but hard interview. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and what editing tools do you use? And, and what kind of gear and technology do you use? Like what your microphone or your editing tools? So I'm a Mac guy, so I'm just editing in GarageBand in terms of audio editing. And in terms of recording, I tend to record like this one, the conversations in Skype with Call Recorder. And then my microphone, my standard microphone that I'm using uh, that we're speaking on right now is a Yeti. What three words come to mind when you think of Amateur Traveler? Oh, if you had, if I had to summarize <laughs> this destination with three words, what three words would I use? Yeah. No, but in this case, I'm trying to summarize Amateur Traveler or or, work as, or to Chris Christensen. What three words would I use? Well, for, for Chris Christensen, clearly the words would be ruggedly good looking. So Yes! And then uh, for the podcast? For the podcast. <laughs> Ruggedly brilliant. Uh, <laughs> entertaining, educational, 
destinations. I just I got to go with destinations because that's really what we're all about. They are two different kinds of things that are the reason why I keep doing the show. And they're and they're kind of two very different things. One was a show we did way back on Peru years ago. And someone went out to the Amazon and they were talking to they were meeting with people from one of the tribes in the Amazon and they learned that part of the the courtship ritual in that tribe involved throwing pebbles at the woman you were interested in. <laughs> and they're just some of those moments of like, what the hell? <laughs> that I love. It definitely is a what the hell moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, who thought this was a good idea sort of moments. And I, and I love those when we stumble across those sort of things that just completely take me by surprise. So the second story or the kind of stories that I get that I also keep me doing the show and I think of a couple that I interviewed who biked across Iran as part of a larger trip across Central Asia. And they were biking across Iran for about two months, as I recall. And their best story was they stopped at a phone booth and they went to make a call to try and get one of the visas that they were going to need for one of the stands, one of the places in Central Asia. And someone stopped because apparently the phone booths in Iran are notoriously poor. And so they said, wouldn't you like to use my cell phone because you know, th- you're know you probably going to have more luck with that. And then somebody else stopped and somebody else stopped and somebody else stopped. And they sent me a picture of five different strangers who had stopped to help them along the side of the road on five different cell phones calling five different embassies for them. And I just love those stories because they're not the story you hear on the nightly news. Right? And they're the stories that travelers have, right? Those stories of the person you met in the market and the Zocalo in Oaxaca who spent his day being your tour guide. You know, the, that's the sort of thing that those are also the stories that I enjoy. And I, I get a little frustrated when people keep saying, what's, I say, what surprised you about this place? And they, well, the people were so friendly. It's like, stop being surprised. <laughs> right, right. No, it's true. I mean, the corollary to that, the corollary to that, Chris, is that, a lot of people will tell me, I say, you know, what makes your country, Cameroon or whatever country I happen to be right. in, what makes them special and unique? They will, people will always say, we're so hospitable. <laughs> we're the, a very hospitable country. I'm like, yeah, you and every other fucking country. I, we did one episode, I remember, of Amateur Traveler, and I think we were talking about Malta, where somebody actually said, yeah, and the people are kind of mean. <laughs> like, oh, really? Wow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think the world is a safer place than a lot of people think. I, we do Airbnb hosting, right? We invite strangers into our home to sleep in the room downstairs, right? And just people think we're just nuts for that. But if that is not right. your view, if your view is that most people in the world are, you know, just out for the same sort of things that you are and really not that, not out to get you, uh, then I think that that doesn't, you know, shouldn't surprise somebody that we do that because it's, it is consistent with that belief. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember F Tapon. 
If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.